Hey, Cracked fans. With the summer months just around the corner, we know all of you are beginning to think about how you can best maximize your chances to improve your game with the warm weather. Well, thankfully, we here at Cracked Rackets are so excited to tell all of you about the 254 Tennis Camp happening this summer at Baylor University. Now, over the course of three weeks in June, starting June 12th through the 16th and ending June 26th through the 30th, you'll have the opportunity to learn from from some of the best coaches in the business in an all-encompassing tennis experience. You'll have the opportunity to improve each and every part of your game, whether that be on the singles court, whether that be on the doubles court, through drilling, through point play, match play as well. You'll also, of course, receive a free t-shirt for participating in the camp, but also have the chance to see yourself broadcasted as our Crack Rackets team will be providing coverage of the final day each week at this 254 tennis camp. Again, you'll have the opportunity to learn from some of the best coaches in the business. I promise Coach Michael Woodson and the Baylor team going to make it an extraordinarily enjoyable time. How can you get signed up today? Well, you can learn more information by visiting the Baylor website by going to baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp. Again, that's baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp to sign up today. Now, this camp open to any and all entrants, but limited only by age, number, grade level, and or gender. Again, you can learn more about this camp by going to baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp today. Don't miss out, folks. Going to be three very exciting, fun weeks of tennis down at Baylor University. Be sure to sign up for the 254 Tennis Camp happening at Baylor today. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, June 21st. Of course, most, if not all of you listeners will be hearing this on Wednesday. Why is that the case? It's because we have a bonus episode of the Mini Break Podcast for all of you listeners this week. Now, normally, this sort of episode where we're going to be recapping the 2023 ITA kickoff weekend women's draft, also talking about the pros on tour, uh, excuse me, pros with collegiate ties. Now on tour is typically a podcast we would put on the Great Shot podcast feed, and we're going to try and have an episode with this sort of theme throughout the course of this summer to try and monitor all of the former or current collegiate players currently having success out on the pro tour. But of course, this week in the buildup to Wimbledon, we're saving the Great Shot podcast for all of our Wimbledon preview content. So if you're looking for the top five men's and women's singles contenders heading into Wimbledon, the Dark Horses, how we think the Americans will do. All of that will be on the Great Shot podcast feed. Of course, we'll monitor the ATP WTA action here on this mini break podcast feed. But on today's episode, as mentioned, we're going off script. Now, this is the much or long awaited part two of a Great Shot podcast episode we recorded last week, recapping the ITA men's kickoff weekend draft here on this show. We want to talk about the 2023 women's ITA kickoff draft, talk about the biggest surprises the regions will be monitoring most closely those you can get excited about, even though kickoff weekend still six months away. Of course, as I also alluded to, we want to discuss the many players right now on tour with college tennis ties who are experiencing all sorts of successes, whether it be at the ITF level, the challenger level, qualifying at Wimbledon or beyond. There are so many players with collegiate ties experiencing success, excuse me, and continuing to prove that collegiate tennis can be a pathway to the pros as such. We want to highlight those superstars here on today's show, talk about some of the players we will be monitoring moving forward throughout the course of this summer. Of course, if you're going to try and do all of that, you better have some help along the way. And thankfully, as always, I do here on our mini break podcast feed. Joining me today, the Holy Trinity 2.0. 1.5? I'm not sure what to call it, but certainly two people, Crack Rackets fans, will be familiar with hearing from. Of course, we'll start with the better half 
of today's duo man you know best as our Crack Rackets West Coast contributor, founder of the No Ad No Problem blog, of course, co-host of the Deciding Point episodes you listen to every week throughout the course of the 2022 college tennis season. It is our friend and returning champion, John J. Parsons. Jay, welcome back to the Mini Break Podcast, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It was a little hurry up and wait last week to cover the women, but uh, I'm used to that. So no, it's good to be here. I'm excited to chat. Um, still waiting for that tell it to my face feedback on my last article, but um, <laughs> overall doing well. Well, what I that's interesting that you say that. It was really the criticism of Illinois. That was the crux of it. Is I and we had this argument in person. That's why I said I have already said this with you. Is I am more of a fan of the Illinois facility what it's capable of producing than perhaps you are and as a Midwest man was I offended that you said no more college uh, offended is the wrong word was I I wasn't even disappointed it just fueled the fire as I said things I would say to your face but to your point and something I should address quickly I know I alluded to this last week Father's Day on Sunday also happened to be my father's 60th birthday I can now also bring up the fact since I've been dismissed I got called for jury duty second time in my life 26 years old already two jury duty summons I'm just a law-abiding citizen folks I am the man you want deciding justice in this country as such that did cause the delay we were hoping to have this episode last week. Do apologize for that fact. I appreciate your patience as always, Jay. A man who is never patient, but is certainly a father, is the other member of our College Tennis Holy Trinity joining us here on today's show. I really just need a word for foursome moving forward. Fierce, fearsome foursome? I don't know. That seems a little too simple. But of course, joining us, as he always does, a man you know best as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks formula predictions, never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames, a man we affectionately referred to as the professor. It's our friend, Chris Halioris. Chris, welcome back to the show as well. Good Father's Day weekend for you. Oh, great Father's Day weekend. Is is the best Father's Day weekend a weekend where you have an early brunch and then everyone lets you nap and leave you alone for the rest of the day? No, actually on Father's Day, you know, I left the house at like eight in the morning on my bike and I didn't come back until after 5 p.m. So, uh, <laughs> you know. And it, yeah. and it was a solo ride all by myself. Yeah, so it was a, a great day. <laughs> no, I mean, I think the breeze is still blowing in your hair as you speak yeah. right now here a couple of days later. But I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad you got the chance to celebrate. And, of course, I'm happy Father's Day to you. Happy Father's Day to Mr. Parsons, who, of course, I had the opportunity to meet in Champaign. And once again, to all the fathers who listen to our Cracked Racket shows. I said this yesterday. As a father of three podcasts, I get how difficult it is to show attention to all of your children equally. And so, you know today to reward the mini break podcast he gets a bonus episode here as we break down the ita kickoff weekend draft and of course talk about the collegians out on the pro circuit of course before we do that have to give a shout out as always to all of you who do continue to tune in day in day out and i'll say it once more if you're looking for wimbledon preview content the great shot podcast feed or our website crackrackets.com the place to turn to of course we'll have episodes previewing the year's third grand slam from every angle throughout the course of of the week and all that content available on our website, crackedrackets.com. Once the slam gets going, we'll have daily podcasts for all of you listeners as well. Of course, you can find all that crackedrackets.com. A shout out as always to our friends at Tennis Point as well, who help make these episodes possible. And of course, I've been providing the best equipment to generations of tennis players. Now, perhaps you're a bit late on your Father's Day gift. Your father happens to be a tennis playing person. Well, go find them a new racket, find them, those strings, those shoes. Maybe you think he needs to update his wardrobe. Whatever it may be, a tennis-related gift can be purchased at the best price with our friends at Tennis Point. Go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to let everyone, uh, let them know, excuse me, that we sent you there. With that in mind, lots to talk about on today's bonus episode. Let's start with the ITA kickoff weekend drafts. And now that we have three of us here, I want to discuss a a topic that we have discussed before here on these podcasts, a topic, of course, that I know Jay had talked about on Twitter as the kickoff drafts were happening. I know, Chris, you've talked about it, obviously, on these shows as well. And that's the fact that the ITA kickoff draft is happening in mid-June. ITA kickoff weekend isn't going to happen till January. And as we've learned in modern college 
college tennis times. You don't know what your roster is going to look like until that winter season begins in January, whether it be transfers, whether it be late arriving freshmen, particularly now in this COVID pandemic era when people are making these decisions later on in the season. We don't know precisely what all of these rosters will look like. As such, is it competitively fair, unfair to host the kickoff draft this weekend? Would it behoove of college tennis, all of the host sites, all of the you know challenging teams to host this draft? If not at the very, very start of January, then maybe late or mid-December. Just again, offer all of these teams a few more months, all of these coaches a few more moments to get their rosters together. With that said, I want to start with you, Jay, because again, I know this is a topic near and dear to you. Well, I don't want to say near and dear to your heart, but I know this is one we have talked about before as well. I want you to share your thoughts with the listeners, your thoughts on the kickoff draft in June. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty silly, um, right? But let me start with the fact that the draft in and of itself is a really cool idea. And I actually think it's one of the things that um, the ITA does well. It's an interesting concept. It's something that you don't see in tennis often, the idea of a draft. So like putting that out there first, I think it's a really great idea. And I think that's what makes the frustration grow a little bit because of all the reasons that you mentioned. It, It kind of dampens the excitement. Right. You're not quite sure what teams are going to be competitive, what regions might be the most uh, interesting because of those, you know, roster challenges. And so, I mean, there's not much more to add. I, I've said that as much on on Twitter. It's pretty clear. You look at the NCAAs like teams are able to travel on short notice. Now, maybe you want to give them a little bit of buffer. Sure. Absolutely. But I think there are ways to make it more interesting and still tie into the ITA two free ideas. One, have it at the ITA Fall National Banquet, right? Get them all in a room, do the draft there. Another idea, do it at the ITA Coaches Convention, right? So, I mean, there are there are things to do at the minimum. If I was a coach, I'd protest. I'm not doing this draft until at least fall classes have begun. Yeah, I, I completely empathize and agree with that point. And, it, and where you started, I think, is a critical thing to repeat. The kickoff draft itself is just an awesome property. It's something, and kickoff weekend itself is one of the greatest weekends you have on on the tennis calendar, regardless yeah. of level. It is a celebration and a full-throated sprint into the start of the college tennis season. We love kickoff weekend here at Cracked Rackets. I know I can speak for you two. I can speak for Maddie, Westoff, Dalton. The kickoff draft itself, the idea of these teams picking where they're playing, challenging these host sites or looking at a two seed, a three seed, and thinking, hey, we can take you on. That is extraordinarily exciting. And would we at Cracked Rackets love to do a live show simultaneously to the draft, maybe fuel some fires as we go along, really turn this into something special? Absolutely. That's something we've discussed internally, something we will continue to pester the ITIA about as well. When we have this discussion, as Jay pointed out, it's how do we maximize this property? Because again, NCAA March Madness, there's a or May Madness, regardless of how you think it, or the Bulls come college football, it's a selection committee picking those, making those decisions, picking those pairings. It's mano y mano in the kickoff draft. Coaches are saying, hey, I see your school. I'm not afraid of you. Work taking things on or vice versa on the flip side, the regions that are scary, the regions that don't fill up. We as college tennis fans, as prognosticators can learn, hey, they're afraid of that team. Like, what are we missing? Why aren't we? Why didn't we think that same way as well? Chris, what would you do to make the kickoff draft even better? Well, I, I mean, I'll just echo what you guys said. A, yeah, A, it's awesome. B, I, yeah, I totally agree. It should be later. And it's it's not even really from the fans' perspective, if you will. I, I think just as frustrated as the fans are the coaches themselves because they, look, let's be honest, they don't want to spend 20 hours of their life trying to go out and research all these teams before the draft to see what recruits they have and who might be transferring and blah, it's a heck of a lot easier to wait till the fall comes and they can at least just go look at the website and see who's listed on the roster. That's 90%, you know, 95% accurate, right? You you can still get a late January commit that's not listed or something, but for the most part at that point, everybody knows. And, you know, is Arthur Ferry going pro? 
is, you know, all of those kinds of concerns, most of them work themselves out by then. So A, it's easier on the coaches. B, it makes, you know, it makes the, the criteria for you doing your selections uh, much more known. Uh, b- but at that point as well, even for the fans, then you can listen to, you know, morons like us talk about it. And, and, and we at least have half a clue of who's going to be playing at that point, instead of completely guessing as to who's coming back, who's not coming back, et cetera. And, th- and then having to wait for the picks to go, huh, I guess they must've known something. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I completely agree with you. It's also, and, and to your point, you know, again, we want this to be the most accurate. We know the value of the kickoff weekend. If you make the national indoors, the chances you are going to be a top 16 seed astronomically higher. And I know, Chris, one of your summer projects is to play around with these sorts of things and talk about the value of the early rankings and how impactful they are on the rankings we see at the end of the season. And, you know, again, I'll wait for you to have the math on that before we truly break down the quantitative impact of the kickoff weekend. But it's immense. And you just don't want to screw it up. And so, I mean, I really like your idea, Jay, of do it either coaches convention. I would say that's uh, it has to be a place where are there the highest number of coaches. So sneakily, do it at Kalamazoo. Do it at San Diego. Do it in front of the best 16s and 18s-year-olds in the world. Hey, that opening night, all the college coaches who are in town recruiting, that's also the kickoff weekend draft. You want to see what college tennis is? Look at how exciting this property is right away. And you can do that on the men's and women's side because all of the coaches are going there. Or the fall national championships. Or, you know, again, do it at the coaches' convention. I agree with you, Jay. It just feels like this is a property that the ITA nailed in concept. And it feels like an easy fix. Yeah. And the one thing I'll say, I, I do think it impacts the fan experience, right? I think there's something to be said for missing the sport a little bit. And this thing just comes up on you so quickly that anecdotally, as a fan myself, it's kind of like, oh man, like we're doing this again. I think tennis writ large and certainly like college tennis, like there's something to be said for having an actual season where these sorts of conversations are taking place. And having some data to, to base base it off of, I think it'll be much easier to incorporate the average fan if this draft is happening in a time frame that you can plan for, right? If you can look four to six weeks out, you could go on campus and go to the actual draft event. Like June to January is just hard for your average fan to wrap their head around. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, you know, again, I we're fortunate enough to know that some coaches do listen to this. If you do hear this segment and you as a coach or a fan or whatever it may be, have an idea for the ITA kickoff draft, a, at AL Gruskin, at College Tennis Ranks, at J Tweets Tennis, let us know in response to this podcast because I, I enjoy all of the ideas. I do think there's a way to maximize the fan experience further through this kickoff draft because, again, it's awesome. And we want to make it the best product it can be. With that said, ITA Women's Kickoff Draft 2023 now officially in the books. Boy, is that just weird to say out loud. 2023 Kickoff Draft now officially there. And I think, you know, looking at the the kickoff draft, looking at the biggest surprises, I'll start with you, Jay. You know, again, is there any, I I think I have some names that stand out in particular, but I'm curious to you, what stood out the most in terms of, you know, again, the regions that filled up quickest? Let's start with the surprises. What were the biggest surprises? Yeah, because I have takeaways and I have surprises, so I'll do surprises. Um, I mean, first, just off the board, Florida had the the first pick, right? And they go straight to Texas A&M. That felt like you talked about some of these coaches sending signals. That felt like a signal to A&M, you know, not only is it within the same conference, but you kind of assume that, you know, you'd go and get an ACC match if you're Florida. So to me, that was one of those strong signals to AM from Florida saying, hey, we think we're better than you this season. Uh, that was the first surprise. Yeah, that I, I would agree with that as well. Obviously, for me, it was Michigan to Oklahoma State. That I just I did not see that one coming. And certainly Michigan brings back just about everyone from last season's team. But Oklahoma State brings back a lot of firepower as well. And they've added via the transfer portal, via recruiting. That's a even if it's still a little bit of an unknown team. I mean, that's a team that was playing your NCAA finalist, Oklahoma and Texas to four two, four threes down the home stretch of last season. 
I think Oklahoma State's going to be a team, and that's going to take a big jump. Chris, what's your biggest surprise? Of course, by the well, way, I, I worked in a Michigan I was surprised State. with with Florida uh, mm-hmm. going to A&M for, for lots of those reasons. I mean, but, you know, they obviously they're going to see them. I don't think that's – I definitely don't think that was the region you looked at and went, yep, that's the easiest region on there, so that's the one we're going to take. Uh, yeah. It just – that's a kind of a head-scratcher to me when, when it's not – not the weakest region to take, and it's a conference opponent that you're already going to get to play. Um, you know, maybe maybe there's more to the story that we don't know, and they want that revenge. I don't know. Well, <laughs> to me, the next one, yeah, I, I agree with that, and you talk about the conferences. How about UCLA? I mean, look, I didn't think that Duke's going to be loaded next year. Texas, even without Peyton Stearns, they're bringing back a, a, a lofty and, a, and an accomplished crew. Oklahoma obviously brings back the majority of the ship, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, I wonder if Chance is going to come back from Oklahoma. I don't want to speculate. It's, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but even if she doesn't come back, we know what that Oklahoma state roster, uh, Oklahoma roster, excuse me, is capable of, but Miami brings back a lot of talent, just about everyone. I know they lose Richardson, but they replace her with Alexa Noel. And for UCLA, particularly UCLA teams, that's not going to have Abby Forbes. I don't think they're going to have Alicia Bolton. Like, I like Kimmy Hance. I like Sasha Vagramov, some of the players they're bringing in. But to go to Miami, Jay, that was a surprise. It was, but, you know, they're looking at probably only outdoor sites, right? They probably don't want to go indoors. And so that takes off about half the teams. Three of these sites are teams that they're going to see once, twice, maybe thrice in the season with Pepperdine, Cal, and Stanford. So there aren't a lot of places on the board for them so my thinking was that they would go to Auburn and say you know what we think we can beat Auburn we think we can beat Arizona State let's just be the third team there and yeah maybe you go 0-2 but you can also go 2-0 yeah I think I mean I think once Arizona State went right two spots above them they probably maybe shied away Mm -hmm. Um, and I actually thought that was another surprise UCF going there as a three was a very strange choice to face Arizona State and then have to face Auburn. Maybe they think they can win, but to your point, just as likely to go 0-2. Mm-hmm. You know, that UCLA choice is, you know, it starts to make more sense once you um, once you eliminate the indoor teams and take off the, the West Coast schools. And I love that Santa Barbara's like, all right, we'll put a bow on the region. But, I mean, am I missing something for Auburn? Like, I know they lose Chen, and I think they lose Axon as well. But, like... Arsenault's coming back. Ovunk's coming back. Uh, I'm blanking on some names here. I'm sorry. Yeah, their top three is coming back. Yeah, like, I really, I, that's, a, that's a bold pick. And correct me if I'm wrong, Jay, weren't Auburn, Arizona State, and Central Florida part of a ridiculous Super Regional this past kickoff weekend? Yeah, yeah so that was going to be one of my, like, uh, takeaways. They really about, like, like each interesting other. Regions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they really like each other, right? I make yeah. it like UCF must have just really wanted revenge because Auburn beat them in the final of the regional at home. And so they must've said, you know, screw it. We're going to go and, and get our revenge. But yeah, you see a few of those, right? Same thing with Columbus, right? You look at Tennessee, Ohio state, those teams really like each other. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was interesting. Yeah. I mean, and I'll go to you now, Chris, any other surprises on the board for you? No, I, I don't think surprises. I was actually, I, it, it took until, you know, like pick number eight before somebody went to Ohio state. But then it filled up pretty quick. I I thought I didn't think it was going to be that long. But at the same time, when you look at all the teams that got to pick, barring Michigan, everybody else is a team that, you know, would probably prefer to play outdoors, right? Your Florida, Arizona State, UCLA, USC, Central Florida, UCSB, right? They're all outdoor teams. So not a huge surprise, but... uh, but I was a little surprised it took that long for someone to go. But as soon as somebody went, bam, it filled. Well, I'm glad you bring up that conference in particular, the Pac-12 and the West Coast Outdoors teams, because I'm certain this is going to be one of Jay's takeaways. It's mine as well. We saw the Pac-12 this year get essentially boxed out of the top 16 seeds. Yes, Cal ended up sneaking one out. And, you know, certainly Stanford played well down the season's home stretch as well. But Stanford, Cal. Those are your only host teams for the Pac-12. You know, you look for a USC team. They're going to Georgia. It's damn difficult. 
ever to win in Athens. You look for UCLA, as we mentioned, they're going to Miami, Arizona State in a region with Auburn, UCF, and UCSB. Even if UCSB takes a step backwards this year, or maybe not a full step, you know, a, a quarter step backwards. Last year, they were on the precipice of top 16. You lose uh, Mir- uh, Mirchnichenko. Obviously, that's going to impact your lineup always. But Jay, that was one of my big picture takeaways. I'm curious if it was for you. You feel like the Pac-12, again, they're going to feel the repercussions from last season right away on kickoff weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword, though, because they feel those repercussions. But on the same same side, like it really helps that they're on the West Coast, right? Sure. It took a really long time for any teams to pick. Stanford or Cal and I'll throw Pepperdine in there as well. Just we talk about the West Coast teams. And so they have pretty straightforward paths once they're there. So you feel good about getting Stanford and Cal through, which is helpful, right? Last year, Stanford didn't make it. They had to go to Virginia and they lost. So yeah, I mean, they only have two teams, but you feel good about those two teams making it because whether it's the flight or being outdoors, like you saw, you see a lot of like West Coast avoidance for a lot of these teams that are either on the East Coast or in the middle of the country. Yeah, I I mean, yes and no. Like you're correct. At the same time, I'd rather be the host or I'd rather, you know, again, I'd rather be, I just think, I mean, we saw it. If you don't get three teams into the national indoor championships in the final 16 field, it's just tough for conferences to make up the gap, particularly when you know the ACC probably going to have a monopoly on top 10 teams again next season with NC State, Duke, North Carolina all holding seed. Miami's only going to get better next season. In Virginia, if Navarro comes back, we know they're going to be in the mix right again as well. Those national indoor weekends, critical. And so with that in mind, obviously the kickoff weekend, still six months away. But Chris, as of right now, which of these 15 regions is most appealing to you? Well, so before I do that, I'll say the, the one other takeaway I had oh. was, man, serious respect for Pepperdine, right? Yeah. I mean, five of the regions completely full and none of them that weren't at least three of the four full before anybody went to Pepperdine. I mean, you know, the board was basically filling up and they were completely open. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think that obviously just because of the early picks and the early fills, you know, the, the two regions that filled up really, really quick being Auburn and, and Ohio State. And they're the last two hosts in, uh, I think, kind of they, they have to be uh, a couple of, of the most interesting, if you will, Um after that, I do. I like the UCLA Miami region. Uh, I think that that's going to be interesting. And I like your your Wolverines at Oklahoma State. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, the, the Florida A and M thing. I'll watch that just because I want to see. Uh, I you know make heads or tails out of that. Neither team, I don't think, gets pushed on the on the first day. It's all. It should almost be a lock. They play each other on on Sunday, uh, and and we'll see where whatever the second day is there we'll see what happens outside of that i don't think there's i mean a lot a lot of these look fairly straightforward you know chris young is always like alex i just think you ought to come down to stillwater uh, yeah i was that was not my best chris young impression i was thinking it as you were talking i was like should i do it should i not do it i'm gonna do it but i'm not committed to it i'll work on it coach um but he's always trying to get me down there well I'm just saying, um, you know, this seems like a pretty good excuse. I, you know, again, with that in mind, I, I would echo a lot of Chris's sentiments as well. Jay, any final reflections, surprises, thoughts on the kickoff draft? Yeah, I mean, those are all like the regions I had circled. I, two other takeaways. I agree with Chris on Pepperdine. I would throw in yeah, North Carolina and Duke, mm-hmm. right? For the yep. access that they have and the proximity to so many of these teams, I mean, no one went there, mm-hmm. right? I mean, their number two seeds are 44 and 49. It took forever for those three to fill up. Um, so there's clearly like a, you know, t- preseason tier one, I would, I would throw those three teams in there. And then the last takeaway that I had is that teams were not scared to go to Texas. You know, the defending NCAA champion at one point, Texas region had two teams already signed up for them while six other teams had none. Um, So I think that was interesting. And I think, um, you know, one contributing factor, and I don't think this has been released as a Parsa bomb yet, but Peyton Stearns is not the only Mm -hmm. Longhorn who is turning pro early. The Zamaripa sisters 
um, have announced that they're also turning pro. So that could be a factor. Little breaking news. Westoff, cue the sound effect from Jay. Was that on Instagram, social media? Did I miss it? Where did they announce that? The Napa Valley Register, actually. Really? Yes, there's a great article in the Napa Valley Register about their decision to turn pro. Shout out to Jay for doing the research, folks. Chris, you if Chris is the professor, are you... You know, are you the AP? Are you the associate professor? <laughs> what, are, what are we doing here? Um, yeah, I gotta get, I gotta step up my game. No, and look, that's not even the only player you hear rumors about. And obviously, no one doubts the recruiting capabilities, the coaching capabilities of back-to-back national champion Howard Joffe. But he loses one of his running partners in Taylor Fogelman, who's off to take the LSU job. And yeah, to your point, number 25, Baylor goes there. Number 30, LMU goes there. It's going to be an interesting region. It's going to be interesting to see what that team looks like. Again, I'm not entirely certain we know what that roster is right now, particularly if scholarship money is now opening up. But we'll have plenty of time. Six more months to break down the kickoff weekends to talk about the changes in these rosters, the most exciting pairings. And I I hadn't looked too closely at the North Carolina or Duke regionals because to your point, I just was like, oh yeah, they're, they're heavy favorites. But for North Carolina, 49 Utah, 50 Charlotte, 64 Maryland. That's respect. That's kissing the ring. That's, you know what? They bring in Brantmeyer and Forbes. They might be better next year. Like, that's ridiculous amounts of respect. And obviously, we know all of the different talents, whether it be from the Ivy League recruiting that Duke is bringing in to replace uh, Chen and Drummy. And so certainly, we know they will be right there as well. But again, plenty of months to break all of that down. With that in mind, let's shift gears here now and talk about the current or former collegiate tennis players that are currently out on the pro tour and having a plethora of success. You look, whether it be at the ITF level and have to give another shout out to the countless college campuses across the country hosting ITF events this summer. It's almost a necessity at this point. If you want to be in competition for the top players, not only in the nation, but internationally as well, you have to be able to provide these sorts of playing opportunities. And we talked about it here, you know, on end 2017, 18, 19, 20 about providing those playing opportunities and the facilities collegiate uh, campuses have available to these players. So many coaches have stepped up. They're all trying to host these now. You got to give credit where credit is due and shout out to the coaches uh, for continuing to put on these pro events. It's not just at the ITF level, though, whether it be at the challenger level, whether it be at the, you know, again, the ATP, WTA level, we see breakthroughs happening everywhere for collegiate players. And case in point right now, you know, UCLA has three guys in the top 75 in Mackie McDonald, Maxime Cressy, and Marco Scarone. Of course, you know, you've got obviously the, the highlighted names, the Norris, the Isners of the world. We know what Kevin Anderson was able to accomplish, but it's really the depth beyond that. And this is where I would implore everyone, collegetennisranks.com. collegetennisranks.com, spell out all of the words. You can find each and every player in the ATP and WTA rankings with collegiate tennis ties listed on Chris Halioris's website. It is an essential resource to anyone who wants to follow these college players and their action happening out on the pro circuit. Now, before we highlight any individuals, here's a free ad read for collegetennisranks.com, Chris. If you can, talk us through one more time what you're developing for the website, the resources available to our listeners who are curious, how can I even find out who these players are, let alone how to follow them? Yeah, so we uh, recently, uh, for, for the avid followers of the site, I moved it under a new menu, but collegetennisranks.com, there's a menu up there called In the Pros. In the Pros has options for showing the the ATP singles, doubles ranks, the WTA singles, doubles ranks, and you'll see all, all the college players. You can even click full rankings and see, you know, off the, the full 2,000 or how many there are, and then which people actually have college ties. Uh, and then kind of and in the works, it's been released for the WTA. I've got it almost ready to go at the ATP level, which would include challengers. Uh, and that is a a list of current tournaments, uh, and I'll go back a week, and to Jay's suggestion, after I get it all working, I'll work on an archive so you can even search the past, but uh, 
But basically the goal was for people to be able to go and look at all the current tournaments going on, which players with ties are playing in each one. Uh, and that's out there now for the WTA. So you'll see that in the menu as well for with WTA tournaments. It'll show every tournament being played now uh, at the WTA level and players in the singles and doubles draws that have college ties, as well as a link at the bottom of each tournament to expand the results if you want to see their round by round results. I'll have that up shortly for the ATP. I could definitely use some help. I've gotten uh, I've got one name to try to contact, but uh, we we really want to do this for the ITF because, frankly, there are just going to be more at the ITF level because uh, you know it's it takes a little bit for folks to crack in, and a lot of guys get guys and gals never crack the Challenger or WTA and up level uh, events. Uh, but we want to see all the everybody, especially the current players over the summer that are playing all these ITF events. Um, so I, if I could get some help somewhere for a data source that I could get that from, that would be outstanding. I will do all the work necessary. Uh, if I can just have access to the data that, uh, and not get blocked, uh, from being able to use it, obviously we're not trying to make money off it. We just want to advertise college players playing in the pros and give the fans a way to see them without having to try to track, you know, a thousand players all by themselves, uh, on their own. So, so hit the collegetennisranks.com in the pros. You'll see the uh, the menus expand as we go here, uh, and hopefully we'll we'll add some more. And if you have things that you want to see in those lists, features that you want, by all means, you know, tweet me, DM me, whatever you want to do. That's that's why it's out there. I, I want the feedback. Yeah, and you know, to your point, first of all, Jay, this is why we love Chris. He's like Elf. You know, he's Batman's butler, Alfred. I should say Bruce Wayne's butler, Alfred. In that, he just makes it all happen. If you pester him long enough, he's like, "All right, all right, I'll just do it. Just shut up." Um, which is like any great father. Uh, sticking with the theme, it's like, "All right, all right, that's enough." Um, but to his point, it's not just the singles; it's it's the doubles as well. And right now, you look at the men's side. There are ten players with collegiate ties inside the top 100 of the ATP singles rankings. There are 32 players, a third of the ATP top 100 in doubles are players with collegiate ties, including world number one, Joe Salisbury, world number two, Rajiv Ram, world number eight, Neil Skupski, number nine, Michael Venus, number 10, Marcelo Aravelo. Of course, on the women's side right now, unfortunately, Jennifer Brady obviously injured. That would be a clear-cut name, but you have two women, Danielle Collins, Meyer Sharif, inside the top 50 of the WTA rankings. I believe you have seven, uh, excuse me, 18 women inside the WTA top 100 as well. There are players with college tennis ties everywhere. I mean, as we look again, it, it'd be tough to list through all of them, but let's start big picture here, Jay. Are we just, am I just paying more attention to it now? Or does it feel like we do have a plethora of players, perhaps more than usual with collegiate ties, experiencing success this summer and over the past, you know, 24 months? Yeah. I mean, I feel like the, the depth is better than it ever has been. Right. So, well, I mean, that's not to say that the highest levels aren't there. Too, 1980s right? see- doesn't count because in the 1980s, everyone did a semester at college and like they're going to be like, well, Paul Harhoos was 22 in the world. And it's like, shut up. Like, yeah, I agree with you. 1980s yeah. doesn't count. Well, when you just look like on the women's side, right? Like Jennifer Brady, Danielle Collins. I mean, we haven't had that in a very, very long time to have a former collegian, you know, make the and make the a Grand Slam singles final. So, but then you look at the depth and you look at the rankings from you know 150 to 300, and these players who are who are making moves. It's also not necessarily the players who were number one in the country in college. You look at names up and down the list, and I think that's what's impressive, and also the the doubles prowess right you went through through the rankings right there is a very clear pathway to have a success as a extremely high level doubles player a grand slam winning doubles player uh coming through college and so i think i I think it is there are more names um and so maybe not having like the highest level but certainly relative to 10 years ago there are more players at the highest level can we also say just collectively all of us thought this, and Jay wasn't on the pod at the time, but I'll project for you here. We said Will Blumberg was going to sleepwalk his way into the top 100 of the ATP doubles rankings. He's at 114 and, like, you know, playing doubles at Wimbledon with Casper Ruud. So shout out to us on getting something right. But you're absolutely right. Jackson Withrow, 
was not a, a household college tennis name. It's a name right. we all know, but he's 76 in the world in doubles, the former Texas A&M standout. You know, Andre Gorenson was part of a NCAA semifinalist Cal team back in whichever was the Tulsa championship, 14 or 15. Yeah, I think it was 16. 15. Or yeah, 15, 16 is what I meant. Um, 16, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, the junior year for the boys um, <laughs> for Virginia. Anyways, you know, he's 65. Like, how about Hans Hock Verdugo, uh, uh, Abilene Christian? He's 62 in the world. Again, yeah. sometimes it takes a little bit longer for some of these players to mature physically, to find their focus, find their footing, find what they excel at. And there are countless players doing that. And again, a huge shout out to you, Chris. I, I cannot even imagine the time, the coding, the programming, whatever it is you do, you did it beautifully here. So collegetennisranks.com, as Chris mentioned, you click on the, the scroll bar in the pros. You can find all the ATP singles and doubles rankings as well as the WTA singles and doubles rankings. With that in mind, Let's talk about some players. And I'm banning Nuno from this conversation, Chris. He's not even the first one I'm going to bring up. Okay, good. Because, but we all, NDN, never doubt Nuno. This podcast has made its stance clear on the former Mississippi State standout. I've called him the most underrated player in college tennis of the past 10 years. Just how ridiculously excellent he was. We've talked about it enough, so maybe he's gone from underrated to slightly overrated because like quarterfinals best you did it was trevor's fault but we know that um chris are you gonna jump on me i was afraid chris is gonna punch me sorry folks how could I it thought be trevor's I... fault he beat uh whoever the heck that was <laughs> it was tubert yeah like two, two and two or something it's nuno that lost to torpedo yeah but how do you do against tcu Oh, he wants that's the Famba match he wants yeah, back. Like you couldn't believe. Yeah. yeah, look, results don't lie, Trev. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Anyways, our Nuno posture is clear, but we're going to exclude him from this conversation because we've talked about him plenty. I'm going to start with you, Jay. And again, we're not going to touch on everyone because there are so, you know, I could do 20 minutes on Bjorn Svensson beating Adrian Boyton and making a semifinals. And like, does. Never mind, I'm not going to say that out loud. But what does the best lineup for Michigan look like next season? That's a legitimate question to ask. I'll start with you, Jay, even though I just snuck in that Spence and Nanda. Uh, give me some standouts so far for you from the summer. All right, so I have th- I did my homework. I got three standouts. <laughs> um, and I'm going to take the easy name off the board first. Um, I'm going to go Ryan Penniston of yeah. Memphis. I mean, if college tennis was played on grass, maybe he would have been like the number one <laughs> player in the country. Uh, unfortunately, it is not. Um, but you know, he started he got, all this before the grass even. I mean, he was true. racking up huge wins on uh, before that. I mean, true. true. Um, but, you know, on, on just over the past few weeks, right, the two challenger quarterfinals and then obviously the quarterfinal at Queens beating Casper Rude uh, wins over a ton of grass court specialists as well. Um, so. I mean, an incredible start to to the year and certainly the past few weeks uh, for him. Trivia question for you guys. His senior year, what did he end this se- his senior year ranked at in the ITA singles rankings? Is this a trick question? He was unranked. No, he's ranked. Okay, I'm, I'm going to say, say that I, he was go, like... Uh, price is right rules. 54. Uh, and, and that Andrew Watson, his teammate, was a was higher. I was going to say he wasn't the highest ranked player on his team. I'm pretty sure that was. I'm going to say 84. Okay, you're both too low. He was 30, ah, 33. Sorry, Ryan. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it speaks to and again, Joe Salisbury went to Memphis as well. Like it doesn't have to be Texas, USC, UCLA, Florida. It doesn't have to be the sexiest name school. Not to say there's anything unsexy about Memphis, but the point being college tennis offers so many different pathways for so many different people. And I mean, is Penniston's game perfect for the grass courts? Absolutely. His ability to drive that backhand down the line and change direction with it, how flat and low that ball stays. He's been exceptional. And he's like 106 right now in the ATP points race. He's been essentially a top 100 player this season. And as good as he's been over the past two weeks, you're not top 100 in the points race off of two weeks, unless those two weeks are at a grand slam. And so, you know, he's inside the top 150 for the first time in his career. Of course, you look uh, for Penniston, the fact that, you know, again, considering he's what, I want to say 26 years old, something like that. It's, um, or 20, yeah, 26 years old. He played four years of college tennis. Like, he is on the pathway you would hope to be in your second, third, fourth full season. That's name number one. 
Good name to call. We'll go to you next, Chris. Who's the name you've been watching? I mean, I, I've got a lot, but probably the one that I would that I would say I think is gonna make a pretty pretty big jump pretty quickly here. I'm gonna go Rinky Hijikata. Yeah, that's a good case. And I mean, again, I'll, I'll try and pull up these tennis abstract numbers for everyone, just so you know that. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, Chris, but for Hijikata, since turning pro, and I, I do think this was a name we were all going to turn to, since turning pro last, you know, May, uh, 68 and 25 overall in his last 52 weeks of action, of course, for him. That includes five titles at the ITF level, seven different finals. You look for him of late, made a semifinal in a challenger as recently as the end of April. April and is now starting to make that push to the challenger level. I mean, so the question I want to go back to you here, Jay, and I kind of want to talk about this, about all of these players. Peniston is not a guy I'd have circled, you know, watching him in his college career and said, that's a guy who's going to make an ATP quarterfinal. I do think for Hijikata, and it helped that he made final round Australian Open qualifying. So we are, he won a match in Australian Open qualifying. So we all kind of saw that before he entered and throughout his college career. But how quickly he has had success. I think one of the things that's tough for us to measure is the non-quantifiable things, which is how badly does he want it? Is he willing to go play 93 matches in 52 weeks? Rinky Hitchikata was willing to do that, and it's a credit to his work ethic, credit to his athleticism. I mean, the guy just plays at the ATP speed. Yeah, I'm actually very glad you brought up like how bad do they want it and those intangibles because as we get to storylines or players to watch, that is one that I have uh, earmarked later on. Um, But you're right. I mean, look, to go from college where you have these resources, you have the team, it is tough. It's a tough grind and to play from 15K to 25K all the way up to challengers and hopefully the ATP tour it's a grind that not everyone loves, right? And so it's challenging. I think Rinky has, I mean, there was one stat at some point in time, he had won like three consecutive tournaments on three different continents. I mean, he's put in the miles for sure uh, and absolutely a testament to his desire to become a professional. And, and you saw that in his commitment in skipping school this season. What do you think his airline status is? Is he platinum yet? Or is he like rocking in the gold, silver? Did he get clear? So when he's at the airport, he can just scan those fingers and he's like, get me through this security. Like I need to get through this as quickly as possible. Uh, I mean, 68 and 25, I think he's working closer and closer to being able to perhaps afford that clear pass. All right, Rinky, a pick off the board. Uh, Obviously, Ryan Penniston, a pick off the board. I'm going to ask you, Jay, go on the women's side now with your next pick. Give me another player you're watching here. Um, so for me, it's, uh, Fernanda Contreras from Vanderbilt. Um, another, I mean, same thing with Penniston 2018 was her senior, senior season, you know, four years ago, she was playing in the NCAA team final. Um, she's now up to a career high, I believe around 150. Um, she made a big jump into the top 200 after qualifying and winning around in the French open. So incredible to see her great one-handed backhand, um, you know, great to see her out there having the success that she's had. Yeah, I have Fernanda Contreras, 36 and 24 in her last 52 weeks, but again, 60 matches under her belt. Shout out to Contreras, October 8th, 1997. Garbin Muguruza, also in October 8th, Fernanda, just so you know. So that's a good birthday to be sharing with someone. And yeah, to your point, I don't believe she has a pro title, or uh, she doesn't have a pro title, I should say, in the past year. You look for her in her career, two pro titles, but they came back in 2019. It's again, the fact that she's been going to different locations and, you know, grinding at the 25k level the 60k level the person i would turn to the who epitomizes this sort of career path is look at what beatrice haddad maya has done since coming back from suspension to work her way back up the rankings over 175 plus matches across various different continents Uh, she's just been playing week in week out been on the grind and if you're willing to be on that grind again if it's going to work for you, eventually it will pay dividends. I agree. I think Contreras has been uh, exceptional of late. And, you know, I, I do think she's taken a massive jump forward. Certainly seeing her qualify for that Roland Garros main draw, um, that was impressive. Is she someone, because obviously she was good when she was at Vanderbilt. Did you see top 100 weapons? Like, did you see 157 for her, Jay? No. I mean, she she reached number one, right? Yeah. Um, but no, I, I'm not even sure I thought 
she was going to pursue tennis that seriously after school. I mean, didn't she get like a, a, a neuroscience degree or a mechanical engineering degree? I mean, something she's, like that. Yeah, she was she was putting in the uh, the miles on the tennis court, but also the hours in the library for sure. Um, so, no, I, I didn't see top 150 for her. Yeah. And I mean, again, credit to her. She has done that. And again, turns 25 years old in October, going to get to play slam qualifying at Wimbledon, going to get to play it at the U.S. Open as well. I mean, again, yeah, she was a top college tennis player in the, uh, you know, in the country and she's starting to make that jump. And, you know, I do think we've seen a couple of players at the collegiate level, uh, you know, who were top collegiate athletes make jumps as well already. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I will go back to the men's side quickly. August Holmgren's a guy who we've had, and Duarte Valle, two guys we've had the chance to see on our SoCal Pro Circuit coverage. And if you're not watching that every Saturday, Sunday, not this weekend, but the next three weekends, we've got our final three weeks of action. You can follow all of it on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. You know, I, I kept pointing to this stat. I believe it was something like 18 matches for August Holmgren in 24 days or something crazy like that. He goes from the NCAA singles championships where, of course, he makes the finals. And I think that's six matches under his belt for that run. From there, the next week, he's playing the SoCal Pro Circuit. And he wins his first pro singles title in Rancho Santa Fe. Then the next week, loses second round to Adrian Boyton. That happens. Plays the third week as well. And again, you're talking now, we are really racking up the matches. And he had five match points against Ethan Quinn. And we can talk about Quinn in a second if you'd like as well. And just like... I still think if you're Georgia, you're Diaz and Hunt, you're like, you know what? We're sticking with our decision because if we're bringing in this guy, it was worth it. Um, But right off the way, Holmgren goes, title, second round, final. Like he's inside or the top 650 now at a new career high ranking. We all said the serve, the forehand, it's ready to be at the challenger level. I mean, he's proved that right away, Chris. Oh yeah, absolutely. And there's, I mean, there's a bunch of guys, if we want to go down to, to that, you know, to the, at the ITF level, right. Yeah. That, that have just had some great, great starts to the, to the season, but yeah. Just Holmgren's quickly, pl- Duarte earns a title week two. Chris Rodash earned a title over in Spain. I know we go Mati Soto. I would never forget about him. He just earned his first pro title last week as well. You know, these were all top 10 guys, top 20 guys in the nation. And that just proves the level for college tennis, and I don't think this is a surprise to anyone, Chris, but if you're one of the best in college tennis, you're probably going to be going and winning future circuit titles. And you're going to, you know, again, get yourself, put yourself in position to be top 400, start sniffing around that challenger ranking. I do feel like the best collegiate players fly through the ITFs pretty quickly. Well, yeah, and you're, you're leaving out the guy that I think that has basically flown through off of just what he did this year at starting at the ITF level and just ripped the ITFs. And that's Brandon Holt. Yeah. Great. I call. mean, just tore through the ITFs and he's up to 334. And the point where he can, you know, for the most part, play challengers, probably still going to play 25 K's, but he's going to be able to get into some challengers, uh, you know, and a fair number of them now, but yeah, he's had a, a great ITF circuit. Uh, I mean, and you know, Charlie Brooms had a great, uh, a great time here as, as of late. Uh, I'll tell you a couple guys that are not necessarily household names uh, that, that have done really well. Uh, Gabriel DeCamps has, has had some, some really good, really good showings. I mean, Kova's doing well. Henry Squire, Alistair Gray is slowly yes. up to where he's basically a challenger guy. Now he's 280 something. Uh, Alistair Gray's 285. Yeah. If I, mean, I would have, I would not have, you know, again, when he went pro, I thought he'd come back for sure. Play that one more year. Why not? But, you know, I, I always thought he was, he was just always quietly excellent. He really was a guy who played to the level of his opponent. And that's the other thing you find out with some of these college guys is you put them in an environment where, you know, the level is even higher. Like I think a guy like Rinky 
the better the player, the better he plays. A guy like Duarte, who has the physicality, but like the better he, the the level, the better he plays. I know we've been very guy centric here, Jay. And by the way, Brandon Holt, to your point, Chris, thirty two and eight overall this year for yeah, ITF yeah. titles. He's been incredible. And I'll just mention one thing, and and Jay can comment because I honestly don't know if if the numbers are around the same on the women's side or not. But on the men's side. For the fans that are look, if you go and pull up the rankings on on the website at collegetennisranks.com and you kind of scan down the list, to me, the two big important numbers because let's let's be honest, these guys want to that are in this area we're talking about want to make a living as professional tennis players. That's the goal to be out there and make a living. You have a hard time making a living doing this if you can't get yourself to the grand slams because those are the paydays where even when you lose round one. You make a living and you're not absolutely grinding. And those two numbers are generally in the 100 to 105 range gets you main draw and the 230 to 240 range gets you into qualies. So that's that's kind of the first big number is try to crack that 230 to 240 mark. And at least you're showing up at the slams, getting to play qualies and and making a run at it. Yeah, and, you know, again, on the women's side, some other players who have made some ITF pushes. I mean, we saw Maria Kazireva win a doubles title on the SoCal Pro Circuit, the former, uh, Al- no, not LMU, St. Mary's star. There it is. Uh, you know, made back-to-back doubles final with Mirshnachenko uh, of LMU. And obviously, you know, again, both of them had plenty, you know, top 40, 50 players in the college tennis world. Shout out to McKenna Jones. She wins her first pro singles title this past weekend on the SoCal Pro Circuit. She won a doubles title the week before with Kimmy Hance, who I said this on a pod, Jay. I don't know if you heard it. I'm all in on Kimmy Hance. Like she is going to make a sophomore surge. She is going to be that sneak top 25 player for UCLA who you're like, who is this? Like, where did this jump come from? I'm in on hands. Just she's got it for sure. Her, I'm all in on siblings. Maybe it's because I am a sibling and I can speak to this. But if you've been around the game long enough, you're just ready for it. And obviously, Kimmy had a brother, Connor, who played at UCLA as a high level junior as well. Kimmy's just ready. Like Katja Weirsholm's just ready. Like those are, I'm just, I'm telling you, Kimmy Hans, big season next year. Give me some women's names as well. You're going to be watching this summer on the rise or who have had some success. Yeah, well, one thing, I mean, particularly having an older brother uh, helps a lot when you're yeah. developing um, uh, your your tennis career. Um, so a few names on the women's side. I mean, one kind of in the same vein of Contreras is um, Leola Jingjin, who's yes. played at Baylor, Arkansas, and also at Lynn University. I mean, her run to the third round of the French, uh, beating Pliskova um, up to a career high. She's within the top 150. Uh, that was a, a really special run, someone who is – absolutely not a household name regardless of how close you follow college tennis um so that was super special to see uh you mentioned a few of the players on the itfs i would throw in snow han as well who had some really good results uh at the itf level yeah just won a socal pro circuit title yep exactly and doing that is usc's number three um two other names um you know nell miller shout out you know ncaa doubles champion just made the semifinals of an 100k just was awarded a main draw uh wild card to wimbledon um and then the last name and someone that i was really impressed with in champagne uh carol lee of georgia tech she played emma navarro very close and a very high quality match in individuals she just made the semis of the 25K Charles. in Sumter. And I mean, she beat uh, Carolyn Ansari of Auburn, Sarah Hamner, and Ashlyn Kruger. Um, so that was a great run for her. And yeah. I'm excited to see what she does this summer. No, and Stearns gets to a quarterfinal at that 25K in Sumter right away as well. We see her making a push. And, you know, they announced the USTA collegiate teams. And give me a second to pull them up. But it was awesome to see. I know on the women's side, Peyton Stern's going to be on that collegiate team. I believe it's here we go. I have the list for you on the women's side. Cayetano, Hamner, Ma, Navarro, Stearns. One of those players is going to be in the top 200 by the time next season starts. That's that's a take for you. And it's being coached, of course, by a former top 50 doubles player in the world and friend of the program who somehow we haven't yet had on, had on in Haley Carter. I'm going to have to pester her with text moving forward. On the men's side, Riffish Shelton, Murphy Cassone, Destonic, Kingsley, uh, coached by Bonfiglio and Rincon, obviously USC, Louisville, respectively. Should give a shout-out again to Clement Shedek, who we talked a lot about throughout the course of the fall, was one of those breakthrough players and was one of just 
the guys this year who, you know, again, watching him. What If you're a guy, you take your team and you have a pronounced amount of success. And you took that Washington roster and they make the NCAA tournament. And credit to Shedek, who what beats Draxel, I believe, in the final last week at the 25K yep. in Wichita. Lots of good names. And just signed with Octagon. Yeah, and yeah, not a bad move, right? Does yeah. that mean Coach Anger signs with Octagon as well? Is that how? Is it a package deal? <laughs> That's a good, good yeah, question. Yeah, it's like Octagon now pays for the house in Seattle. Um, that would be ideal. Um, no, I mean, again, there are so many different names we could turn to. Let's do. Let's end this week's podcast here. And again, I'm going to reserve the right to bring both of you back. As I was just on jury duty, you're not yet dismissed. We reserve the right to bring you back. Um, that wasn't the case. I've been dismissed. I can promise. Um, sorry. Uh, by the way, Maloney Tracy tomorrow. South. It, I might be going. I might have to make a drive. It's only three and a half hours from yeah. Michigan, and then I can head back to Indy on the way. Um, Presley Thieneman, pro circuit debut. I would be fired what, if I didn't mention that. And what a draw he got, Gruskin. He's going I'm, – I'm going to call it right now. He's going to get a point. He's going to win? Yeah. Who's he play? I didn't look. Oh, uh, now i got to look it up. Oh, it's it like a, Pierce Brosnan. Oh, it's oh, not he, Pierce Brosnan. He play, no, like he that. plays uh, Perry Gregg, the Perry Holy Gregg. Cross kid. Yeah, there uh, it is. Yeah, Pierce Brosnan. Perry. First of all, Pierce Brosnan, not a horrible hint. I knew it was a P. Shout out to the association <laughs> game. Um yeah, I mean, that's exciting news, obviously, for us here at Cracked Rackets. Any final thoughts? I'll start with you, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad you called out because I meant to mention him. Uh, I mean, one of the biggest surprises, and it's not, I don't, it's not like it's a one-hit wonder or, it's, or it was a, you know, a, a one-time deal, was Murphy Cassone. I mean, yeah. zero points going into that challenger that he played right after NCAAs and, and racked up, I mean, a great run. You know, beats Michael Moe, wins another round, uh, and he's he's continued to play well. So big for him. Uh, and then uh, you know, yeah, you bring up Sheedek, you brought you mentioned Draxel, Gabe Diallo. Oh, I mean, just God. so many guys at, at the that are that are going to be racking up these futures points. That uh, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fun to watch. I had a talk with someone who's on the grounds of East Lansing, not only for this year's tournament, but last year. And I believe Gabe Diallo's now made two massive runs at the two East Lansing Futures over the past two years. And this person was like, every time I see this guy, he's just the best player in the world. He's just like, <laughs> he's like, what am I missing? Like, why isn't this guy already a pro? And to which I say, like, if he comes back to college next season, I think Diallo versus Draxel at one is a serious conversation. Like, I think that's a serious choice you have to make. And maybe you do split the load and you don't burn out either guy throughout the course of the season. Final thoughts of the pod go to you, Jay. Yeah, I mean, I think the two biggest storylines for me are, you know, on the men's side are one, Shelton Summer. Right. And seeing how he continues the success. Obviously, he translated very well to Little Rock. I mean, I think all eyes will be on him as he gets, I'm sure, his choice of wild cards, certainly for some of the ATP events in the States as well. So we'll be curious to see that. And then just to reference the point I was making earlier about Rinky and like, how badly does he want it? You know, Sam Riffis is making his debut this week, um, his pro debut, you know, that's something to circle for me. I'm curious to see um, how long he continues on, on the pro tour and and how much uh, of an effort he makes. I didn't um, Riffis play in Wichita last week. He lost, I want to say second round. Oh, he might have. Yeah, he might have. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, because yeah, he, right. he beat but, Alex Richards from Wichita yeah, State. Yeah, you want to know why I remember is because – can we say this, Chris? Do you want me to say it? I don't know what you're going to say, so go for the, it. Your story of why I know you know this is because you looked online at Bavada and Riffis was like minus a billion odds, and you put your entire life savings on the match, and you you know made $4 out of it. Yeah, um, that was against Alex Richards from Wichita State. Yeah, right? That was the match, right? I'm, I'm not crazy here, right? Hey, hey guess what? Cassone played him today, and I did the same thing. <laughs> Who needs Bitcoin when you've got Riffis and Cassone? Um, and by the way, this is why you follow college tennis, folks. Um, yeah, and it's all in the spirit of love, by the way. I, if you ever do that, Chris, and you never will, I don't even need to say it, but like he would never be like, hey, Sam, what the f***? Like, that's just never going to happen. So if it, no. if it, yeah, and if it ever did, you'd be banned from the pod for life. Don't worry, <laughs> folks, but he would never do that. Um, I also, I felt like I cut you off there, Chris. I felt like you had something to say before I, ca- I tossed to Jay. 
Uh, no, well, I, I did want to throw in a, a couple. There were two other on the on the women's side, I think, that I had had, had looked at. And that was, uh, um, you know, Ariane Hartono has, has played well. And yeah. from Oklahoma. Uh, uh, yeah. Mizaki. Mizaki. Yeah. yeah I mean, absolutely. yeah. She, Good call. She, I mean, she had a nice win over Gavrilova there. Uh, was that last week or the week before? Um so yeah, th- th- those were a couple more on the, on the lady side that I, that I thought were doing really well. Well said, Jay. Fi- again, final thoughts to you. You said storyline one, Riffis Shelton. What's two? Yeah, uh, Peyton Stearns uh, yeah. and Emma Navarro. Right, those are kind of to me the the things that I'm watching for. I mean, Peyton Stearns obviously is committed to going pro. Um, so she didn't have that successful of a summer slash fall last year. She got hurt towards the end there. So. She's got a lot of room for points and she'll obviously get the wild cards uh, as will Ben, um, you know, and Emma as well. Right. Curious to see how how many events she plays first off and how she does. And, you know, she's still in the will she won't she category of returning. So um, on the men's and women's side of like either current or, or just uh, completed their season collegians, uh, those are the ones I'm watching. That, I, I agree. I, those would be these storylines because certainly they're the most impactful to next season's college tennis as well. And again, there are countless freshmen or incoming freshmen, Ethan Quinn winning yep. his first pro singles title. And I mean, beating Holmgren in the final, Quinn is ridiculously good, like ridiculously good. Watching his weapons, how easy the power. If Jacob Bickerstaff had power, he would be Ethan Quinn. Like, by the way, that's not a shot at you, Bick. You know I love you. But if I'm saying like plus, plus power and, you know, f- five more inches on his frame, he would be Ethan Quinn because, God, like at the drop shot, the hands. Oh, my God, there's a lot to like about the game of Quinn. And obviously I'm biased because I just saw him at his best, but I like the best of the 18-year-old. But with that said, again, this is a podcast we're going to usually have on our Great Shot podcast feed that we're going to try and do each and every week here throughout the summer as there are so many players with college tennis ties having success on the pro circuit. Of course, we're aware we missed some of the names. We'll try to get to them over the next few months. But if you feel particularly passionate about anyone we missed at AL Gruskin, at College Tennis Ranks, at J Tweets Tennis. Let us know what we got wrong, of course. Be sure, seriously, he does all of this work. Go appreciate collegetennisranks.com. Shout out to you, Jay. I know when I don't respond to Chris's texts, he then texts you and says, what do you think about this, this, and this? And you're much better about responding than I am. And again, Chris gets 97.5% of the credit. You get 2.4%. I'll slide in with the 0.1. Um, but a, a shout out to the work you guys do to ensure a spotlight is shined on all of these players. I know I speak for coaches, fans, players everywhere when I say we appreciate the effort. With all that said, again, Wimbledon coverage over on the Great Shot podcast feed. All of our content, crackrackets.com. Like, rate, subscribe, review to each of the shows. Shout out, as always, to super producer Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all this content possible. With all of that said, shout out to our friends at Tennis Point as well, tennis-point.com. Promo code is CR15 for the fantastic John Parsons, Chris Hallior, super producer Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Gentlemen, what do we tell our listeners? That's the break. I have no idea because I already forgot whether it was a great time. <laughs> See, you forget your children. It happens yeah. on Father's Day. This is your Eric Alex Nicholas moment for my dad. With all that said, yes, that <laughs> is the break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you as always, gentlemen. <laughs>